Uh, there we go. There we go. Ah, there it is. There it is. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, introducing as normal, discussing as normal. This is the first episode that's going to air in 2022. Um, so I might mention, you know, Happy New Year to everybody and sort of go from there. Um, we had acquisition as our uh, Christmas Eve episode. We have detained as our uh, New Year's Eve episode. Woo! Um, there's a there's a really we, fun episode. Yeah, from we may the well be detained by New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, quite easily. Everybody just with masks, stay at home. Um, and then, yeah, this one is is it. This is actually the last episode to also uh, be featured in the year 2151. So the next episode will be the start of 2152. And Dan and I will do sort of like a um, year in recap episode that will be both a Nexus Nights and a Temple Trek episode. So we might mention that at some point uh, as well. Uh, but we're just sort of going to recap what happened this year. How impactful is it to the whole Federation? Maybe do all that kind of stuff as well. But it'll be very general conversation. There we go. Right. Uh, let's get started. Space time. The ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We're in Chronodate Season 3, Episode 22 and Season 1, Episode 20 of the Enterprise run, although it would have been Episode 21 if we were in the airing order, but we are still in the chronological order where we stepped out of the Netflix run. Uh, so if you're a little bit confused, that's where we are now. Normally, I would say, normally I'm not alone and here is my guest, but we're going to do things a little bit differently. This is the first episode of 2022, as far as my uh, almighty spreadsheet tells me, uh, which means there are a few changes. And uh, if you were listening on the uh, Temple Trek Nexus Nights, you might hear a little skit that I've recorded where I have uh, someone installing a new seat in my office. And uh, I'm not going to be pulling him up on comms. He's going to be sitting right next to me. Uh, Dan, the co-host, co-host Dan, second Dan uh, on the show. Um, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you. And um, um, yeah, co-host, I've been transferred into your department and um, I'm looking forward to uh, getting to work. Although I'm not quite sure what work is. What, we, yeah. what do we do here, actually? We just file reports. We just watch the episodes and file the reports. We're stuck in this little cupboard um, whilst uh, Paul is uh, currently in our waiting room. So I think I will pull him up on the device. Incoming transmission. Paul, are you there? Yes, I'm here. And look at that. Dan, Dan. <laughs> We've got two Dans. That's amazing. This is not going to be confusing at all. No. <laughs> Um, there's, uh, yeah, it, it's going to get very confusing. I might put Dan Dan as like a new jingle, actually, uh, as like part <laughs> of the show. I'll just loop that and put you in through uh, auto-tune and just have Dan Dan. <laughs> uh, how are we, Paul? 
I'm very well, thank you very much. Very good. They've set you up with the Starbucks account and everything in the waiting room, so uh, you're all set up. Listeners, Starbucks account. Look, he's trying to make it sound bigger than it is. <laughs> all it is is a coffee machine in the corner that takes two peas from like 1970. You know, it's like ridiculous. It didn't have two peas in 1970. <laughs> it's federation budget cuts mixed with the fact you know we're temporal you know investigations it, unfortunately that's just it and we also don't get paid so i don't know how that works uh, we don't go. get paid no <laughs> yeah you agreed you, you agreed to this you've already signed the contracts oh no oh right <laughs> dan you didn't fall for that old trick did you <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how i got dan hitch into the uh, cosmic pizza <laughs> Is my arm firmly twisted behind my back? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I am no longer a, uh, a lonely voice on this show, which is, funnily enough, the title of the episode, if you know your Latin. Yes. If we've all had our read education. See the transition I'm trying to work on? Smooth, smooth. The pieces you get, you all fall get a co-host place. and suddenly you become a professional. <laughs> We shall see. And uh, we're going into Vox Solar, Voxela, Voxilla, Voxel. I don't know how you say it. How do you guys say it? Voxel? Voxel, yeah. We're going for a Corsa. Um, it's, uh, the Enterprise is going in the shop and getting an upgrade. Um, uh, get some spoilers on the back. I don't know. Um, Vox Solar, before we get into the episode, um, any thoughts? Uh, do you remember this episode? Is this one that always sticks in the mind? No, not really. Although it's sort of... Yeah, I sort of remember it, but no, not really. But when I started re-watching, I thought, oh, yeah, this one. It's one of those episodes. Oh, it's one, this one. Yeah, it was the same for me. I, I couldn't remember the title, um, started watching it, and then as soon as the alien came, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember it now. But up until then, like I say, it was a sort of... Uh, it, it, the, the, the title's not obvious. It doesn't suggest anything to you. It only makes sense once you've seen the whole episode in its entirety. And even then, it's it's a bit of a stretch. Um, it, you could have had The Thing, and it would have been a whole play on what I thought this episode kind of was, which is sort of a parody or uh, an homage to horror films. Um, you know, an alien horror B-movie, perhaps. Um, and it might be a reason why they mention going to the movies in this episode, but who knows. Um, not to jump the gun. Let's get into the episode itself. With our LCAR system, we are obviously going to rate scene by scene the uh, episode. So we start off pre-credits with a captain's, unfortunately, supplemental log. There is no star date. There is no nothing telling us the chronology of this episode. But because of extra research that has been done for this show, we know that this is the order it has to come in. It's outside the Netflix airing order but that's how it goes. So this is somewhere perhaps at the end of December 2151, we think, uh, which means that we've had acquisition, detained, and now this all in one month. That's a really big month for the crew. Um, I don't know how they fit all in, but for some reason, they've also met a new species as well called the Cretassans, who are very easily offended. Um, uh, we get some words like Tosca, and we find out that might mean either mating or food, uh, and there might be some confusion there. Um, I was going to go for a traitrid because Trip does sort of point out, he does that thing, you know, where someone's trying to do something at work, and you say, are you sure you're doing it right? And it's just just got under my skin, but it wasn't quite a hatred because I probably would do the same thing if we were pushed for it. But I did notice that Hoshi did give him an eye roll. So maybe she's right as well. Um, we have the briefest first contact in history. 
any thoughts on the pre-credit scene before we get to the few seconds before the credits hit? Yeah, I uh, my first thought was, um, oh, it's, you know, this has obviously gone horribly wrong. You know, but and what is it that they've said? You know, that was the intrigue. You know, have they said something? Have they done something? What, what is it? What is it? What is it? I really want to know what it is. And then, of course, they're not giving anything away because of, you can't understand what they're saying. So there's, you know, the, the translator isn't working fast enough, and they just can't rescue the situation before you know, they they you know, leave the ship. So. You don't know whether this is this is the main story or this is is this the B plot or what. It's it's all uh, very mysterious, mm. and I, I like it because it, 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 you know it's <laughs> it, it, what can you do? <laughs> you, know, you still you still can't talk to people. What else is there? You know you just have to let them go and and just say sorry. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the things I noticed actually was um, the the third alien. I don't know. I don't think his heart was in the acting part. If I'm honest. <laughs> The others looked very angry. He just sort of went. He just sort of gave him a sort of slight scowl, as if, "Oh, that'll do." You know, it, it wasn't really. I think he was probably annoyed he was third alien rather than the, <laughs> the main man. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's the beginning of a, of a. I don't know if tropes the right word, but a theme through the episode of um, Topol giving Hoshi some stick, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And this is the, already straight away. It's like you know she's straight in on her, giving her grief. So yeah, it's quite a nice start. Again, I agree with you. Is that going to be the, you know, the theme of the episode? Is it all about trying to make up with these guys, or is it, you know, whatever? But yeah, again, another nice little, quite effective beginning. I think it's interesting because they've already had fight or flight, which was a Hoshi-centric episode where we're sort of focusing on the UT isn't perfect, even though for the last six weeks of episodes, we've had a perfectly working UT, which could pick up a language in two sentences. For some reason, it's struggling with this one. We just don't know why. Um, it's it's interesting they're giving Hoshi another sort of centric episode. It is mostly Hoshi that is the focus here, even though it's a rare time in that everyone has had something to do this episode. Um, unlike previous episodes where we've recently watched, where one or two uh, characters have had the, the limelight and nobody else has. Um, so it's, it's an interesting uh, reason why they might have gone for this. I would have thought maybe wait till season two and bring this in later because Hoshi's already had her turn. But they gave everyone something to do this episode, which was quite nice. Um, then there are the, the last few seconds before the credits where we see this wisp, this white goop, uh, make its way from one ship to the other. First of all, why did they not shut the airlock before the thing retracted so that the, nothing can get in? That was my first thought. And second, a weird alien life form, which doesn't look like a bipedal actor with a bit of glue stuck on their forehead. Any uh, thoughts? Well, I thought... Um interestingly that it can survive in deep space a strange evolutionary track to take for a, na- a being that lives on a planet i don't know but um mm. that was the only thing i've yeah that's what i thought straight away and yeah i hadn't thought about the um airlock thing but you're absolutely right i mean why would you leave it open it's yeah yeah that would have been a heck of a, a noise wouldn't it because if they've if they pull that um the arm away and that door is still open then yeah. obviously all the air rushes out or mm-hmm. you know, it's it's going to go pop or at least push the the enterprise away you'd think they would have noticed that but yeah why would you leave the door open like that 
It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense because at all. It was closing whilst the, the pod and and everything had completely gone. Like It wasn't yeah. that it was closing as that was there going and then the pod is retracted and the thing was on the inside. I would have been fine, but it was on the outside going in. It didn't make any sense to me, but there we go. Maybe that will play into our consequences for later. Shut the bloody door. Uh, <laughs> uh, where's Lieutenant Hess when you need her to build a new one? But there we go. Um I'm sticking with Lieutenant Hess. I have to see Lieutenant Hess at some point. If she doesn't turn up in the four years, I, I can't remember from my memory, but if she doesn't turn up, I'm going to be a very disappointed man. Um, <laughs> we go in after the credits, and we've got Hoshi, who has better ears than everybody else, and she's already picking up some sort of sound disturbance on board. So this creature is having some sort of effect on the ship or the internal comms. There's subtle variations in some sort of EM field going on, and we get Vulcan splaining, if it's not mansplaining, from to pole towards Hoshi, uh, pointing out what her job is when she clearly knows what it is. Um, we rely on you all the time. This is your job. And Hoshi quite rightly takes a bit of umbrage at this. Um, uh, Travis tries to do his best to be nice, but we've got this whole scene before Trip enters the scene, just between Topol, Hoshi, and a little bit of Travis as well. Any thoughts on this Vulcan-splaining scene? I think it's um, it's reasonably consistent. I think um, it's it's slightly annoying because I can't remember <coughs> which episode it was, but there was the episode where, where Hoshi had a sort of um, crisis of confidence mm. and came through it. And we sort of should have got past this by now, really. But you know, again, it's a bit like when when the um, human crew ever go at to pole. You know, it's it's oh, I don't know. It's it's the same thing over and over again. And you think by now they've been together a year or so. You think by now, and you know, they, we wouldn't need this sort of badgering and sort of attacking. You know, um, so. But then again, it's also quite consistent with Topol because something she does all through the series, really, is she just drops these little sort of criticisms vowed in Vulcan politeness. <laughs> They're actually just sort of, you know, laying into somebody. So, yeah, I mean, it, and again, it sets up quite nicely the, the sort of the, the theme of the episode, I think. So, Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's still just about early on enough in the, in the seasons to to still have the Vulcans knowing a little bit more about things than humans, but it is wearing a bit thin and it's, it, you're turning, it's turning you off away from um, Topol and, and, and making it the bad guy almost, which is, uh, which is not really, not really good. Mm. Uh, one thing I would say about uh, Hoshi is that um, she would make an excellent engineer because if she can hear things through walls and and hear the the engine, you know, there's, there's something wrong behind that panel. And I mean, you would expect either Scotty, Jordy, or O'Brien to have picked that up on any other ship, but not not Uhura or um, or whoever the communications person was on the Enterprise um, in Next Generation. It's um, yeah, it's it's strange. It would normally be, I, I would have expected Trip to be walking along going, I can. There's something wrong. I can hear something wrong, or you know, the, you know, it, it doesn't make it doesn't make yeah, or, or even um, uh, oh, what's his name? <laughs> his name just gone straight out of my head. The English guy, Reed. Reed. Yeah. Why didn't Reed pick it up? You know, because you know he's security and everything. So very true. You know, yeah. Very. True. And of course, because because Hoshi hears it, you know, nobody's going to believe her anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Yeah. 
Yeah, so true, isn't it? Hoshi and surprisingly, Hoshi and Porthos are the only two that seem to have any <laughs> awareness. You know, the rest of them are just like, hey, do, 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 do. Yeah. Just, that would have know. been more believable. Yes, if, if if the dog had gone along and started sniffing <laughs> around one of the bulkheads or something, you know, <laughs> behind here, what's that, Porthos? It's almost like Lassie <laughs> or something. <laughs> that would have been great. When Trip comes into this scene, he's brought Porthos because he knows Archer's in a bad mood. So to cheer him up, he's brought his dog onto the bridge. And then Porthos goes to investigate. And he's sort of pouring at the side of the console. Everyone listens to him, but nobody listens to yeah. Hoshi. That would be really <laughs> insulting. They're all talking to the dog and the dog you know, can understand them. And Hoshi can't even get this alien to understand what she's saying to them. <laughs> Maybe we should use Porthos as the uh, translator. <laughs> Next week, he's sitting there with the little earpiece coming out. (laughs) With Ensign Pooper Scooper underneath there, just catching everything from the seat. Um, Yes, but Trip has come in, just to to bring him back in. uh, And he's assessing the mood and he's asking, you know, is it a good idea if I should go in there? It's a nice little interplay. Again, this is not traitorous in any way. Um, He is forcing himself in because he knows that he needs to get Archer out of this rut, this bad mood. Um, Archer is pouting away. He's talking about brown dwarfs. We need to go and do another mission because I've had enough with these bloody Kratassans. Um, And uh, they do mention, are they going to go and shoot uh, a game of nine ball? Which means there's a pool table somewhere on the Enterprise. Does that mean that there's a new crew member we haven't met before who is the pool table runner? Um, Is he the guy? Is this quartermaster? Does he have to like renew the felt every single time? Yeah, but that pool table thing was so bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like, should we just go shoot mentioned. some pool? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that play trying to play pool when there's a you know, slight disturbance, you know, <laughs> and the whole ship starts rocking and all the pool balls are all over the place. It just makes no sense. <laughs> I've been to a few pubs like that, to be honest with you. Yes. There's two ensigns and they've got, you know, loads riding on this game and then just a little bit of distortion and all of his balls get pocketed all at once and that's, yeah, pay up, that's it, my one shot, <laughs> I did it. But you know what happened? All the crew would be stood around it, thinking, "Well, I've got, I haven't got, I haven't got a couple of quid to put in the slot. What are we <laughs> going to do? Yeah, we've got no money. We don't do money now. What's, what's this? What's this slot saying? Money? <laughs> Somebody go and replicate an old coin. <laughs> and some pooper scoopers just got a dog biscuit. It's like, sorry, I can't help. Yeah. Um, we get water polo as well. Um, and there is a bit of discussion about, you know, how practical would it be to put a swimming pool in? They've got a pool table, but not a swimming pool. <laughs> It's even worse. Uh, it's even worse. <laughs> this time, this time the the, um, the stabilizers go offline. There's water everywhere. <laughs> um, but it's the first time we actually watch water po- water polo. It's not the first mention, as we found out back in acquisition, um, where we had uh, Archer's water polo uh, injury playing up into his little story to try and play the Ferengi off. Um, but uh, Porthos uh, also comes into this scene where he's barking from Archer's quarters and he can now hear something as well, but there's no one around to believe him. So there we go. Um, we now go to a dinner scene in the mess hall between Travis and Reed. And it's a really nice little bit of character for the two of them. It's almost like Reed is the older brother to Travis and Travis is the younger brother trying to convince him to watch this movie with him. Uh, it's got explosions. 
it's it's a French film, but it's got explosions. You'll really like it. And, and you know, come on, come on. It's called Wages of Fear. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Um, and there's a little bit of playoff with Hoshi as well. You know, we could use you. We've got subtitles. They, they, they can kind of realise she's down a bit as well. They're trying to bring her in. Uh, any thoughts on the dinner scene and the kind of interaction between them all? I thought it was the most clumsiest way to 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 try and bring Hoshi into it. It's just awful. <laughs> you can see Reed's obviously talking away. Then he goes, "Oh, you seem to sort of realise, uh, oh yeah, we've made a mistake here. We just mentioned something about communications. We need to bring Hoshi in." So, he goes, hey, he's got subtitles. You could do the subtitles for us. Oh man, <laughs> the poor girl. She can't use. She's hurting here. And then you go, "Well, we can give you some little minor tasks. Yeah, we can read the, the subtitles out to us." <laughs> I really like. I liked it. I, I think you're right, Paul. I think, um, yeah, it's terrible that. But I liked it because what I really liked is I think it's the first time when we get you know Reed really acknowledging that he loves explosions. <laughs> we all, we yeah. all know it. We know it, and it's been going on. We've been talking about it all the way through. But this is he goes, yeah, great, yeah, Expl- <laughs> explosions, brilliant. You know. So this is the first time where Reed just goes, yeah, actually, do you know what? It's true. I love them. Yeah, and I think it's a good little um, scene because it's got, you know, I mean, like I say, Reed, a few uh, episodes back, uh, wouldn't have sat around with anybody. He would have been sat in the corner just eating something by himself, you know, pineapple or whatever. Um, you know, and he's just, now he's sort of integrating with the crew more and he's and he's happy and he's easy and he's having a good conversation. And they're all, all three of them, it's a really good discussion anyway, even if it was, even if it, did, it didn't lead anywhere as such, but it was an, a nice little scene, you know, of everyday, you know, yeah. lunch break or whatever or dinner break i thought you might have liked it paul that they did eat in between mouthfuls not with mouthfuls yeah there was a little bit of acting chewing going on where <laughs> um mayweather put something in his mouth and, and seemed to be taking ages to chew but then immediately started talking and there was nothing in his mouth so i thought well that's uh, that's okay i'll accept that that's how boomers yes, do it was, uh, awesome. yeah and, and um the um uh, reed was uh you know shoveling the food into his mouth like there was no tomorrow so i was wondering whether he hadn't actually eaten at that point when he was acting that scene <laughs> but no it was it was a nice little scene i did like i did actually like it perhaps that was a cost-cutting exercise they actually fed them while they were doing the scene they, they literally just walked in yeah. from the, from the from catering. catering yeah, yeah. i'd say there's you know sit, sit down uh, we're, we're running short of time yeah we'll there. just film you <laughs> Just riff a bit, you know, just make it up. <laughs> just talk about French films, explosions, and bring in Hoshi. Just make it up as you go. That's fine. Uh, this is where we also see Hoshi leave, and then she can hear something behind the bulkhead, so she's noticing that this thing is moving through the ship or there's something different. Um, we go to engineering, and we sort of get a Lower Decks episode because we've got two two crew members we've never met before and may never see again um, and still don't see Lieutenant Hess running anything because... Uh, Trip's not down there. We know where he is. He's upstairs uh, uh, on the upper deck, just listen, uh, watching some water polo for the first time. So, where's Lieutenant Hess running things? Just saying. Um, we don't find out their names in this scene, but there's a nice little interplay. But it is classic horror movie. There's something strange on that deck. You go and investigate. We'll go and catch the movie afterwards. It's fine. And off this uh, crewman goes. Um, uh, any thoughts on the sort of the little kind of lower decks that we got? exactly what i've got in my notes here i said lower decks getting the shitty end of the stick again <laughs> yeah but my first thought was lower decks immediately mm-hmm. yeah there's not many decks in, in, in there but these are lower ones <laughs> there's only one lower deck that's it <laughs> yeah I, 
I sort of agree. I think, um, yeah, I hadn't thought of the lower decks thing, but yeah, definitely. But also, you're right. I mean, it's such a horror film trope. You no, know? it goes down there. I think I can't remember if it's in this scene or the next couple of scenes where the the, the woman goes in as well. Mm-hmm. But she's like, you know, I mean, seriously, the, the power's off. You know, he's disappeared. No, I think it was wasn't he halfway through saying something when he just cut off. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't sort of yeah. wander in. And go, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah it can i'll talk about it in a minute but it continues through the episode this mm-hmm. <laughs> you no know, stupidity basically you know horror film stupidity but yeah that, no again nice little scene um i don't know um i was thinking about this they they do so little with the people that aren't major characters i know that's sort of the nature of this thing but you know as you say do we ever see them again i don't think we ever do really and, you know, it would be nice. I think in Voyager, they had to be a little bit more careful with extras and stuff because, you know, they're meant to be stranded in a Delta Quadrant, so they couldn't just, people couldn't just appear from nowhere. Well, they did occasionally. But but with this, you know, there's just no effort to sort of keep them. I wouldn't like that if you, you, you know, you, you Carmen Cutler does that eventually, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Mm-hmm. You know, she starts to do that, but they, they don't really do that. And it's a shame, really, I think. Mm. Because she that that sort of experience of being held like that and, and sort of you know and and getting to sort of be able to read the thoughts of the other people, the mm-hmm. captain and, and trip and stuff, maybe that would be quite an interesting little thread to just let run mm-hmm. through a few episodes, you know, where where the sort of that, that that connection that wasn't there before. No, that's about it. I mean, it, it was you know, like you say, it is the uh, pretty much you know one person slipping on a banana skin and falls over. Somebody goes to help them. He they fall on the banana skin, and then somebody else comes. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's just the, the three stooges really. You know, they keep going in and getting uh, getting taken. Um, but yeah, you do get that little uh, uh, worm type thing that disappears into the, into a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of intrigue. What was that? You know, there was something there, and. Yeah. <laughs> He goes around the corner to look at it, and suddenly you've got this molecular spider's web just hanging there. You know, it's a really strange thing that's... Are you thinking, is, is that a big spider, or is it... it it's obviously an alien, but you, you don't realise that that is the alien, which is good. Very true. And and yes, that does come up in, in the next scene, because we've got the archer trip going on at the same time, so it's sort of a back and forth. We do have this other crewman who goes in to investigate, you know, where are you? And uh, Archer and Trip are watching a very grainy footage of some water payload. Um, I don't know what subspace comms does to the footage on the, you know, surely it was filmed in HD or better, um, and something in the, the subspace relay just changes it into what looks like SD footage. There we go. Um, they, they act like they've sort of never watched it before and Trip has no idea, yet they've got at least a 15-year friendship that we know of from watching it in Temporal Trek. It's never come up in 15 years that he's got him to watch. I lived with my uh, flatmates for one year at uni in the third year and they were all football mad. I, I have no idea what football is and I, I still don't really know it. But within the first week, I'd already watched two games of football with them. And how it never came up in 15 years that water polo, water polo is my favourite sport. I mean, the other thing about it is that, is that footage um, is in 4-3 f- um, format. Mm. And and yet Enterprise is actually widescreen. <laughs> so you, immediately you're thinking, well, it must be a very old game then, because this this goes back, you know, obviously before 2000, because you know, 
that's when four three formats were, were in and it's even on a script on a square screen as well which is a bit odd so it's condensed know you know to get through the, yeah. the subspace interference they have to condense the stream and that's that's yeah. clearly what's gone on here yes. to, to step out of the um what's the word the fiction again as i quite often do actually but um I guess it's probably you're probably at dead white. It's an old old um, game that they didn't have to pay royalties for. That's yes. why it was filmed. That's probably <laughs> what it is. That's almost so. You know, that's probably what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I seriously doubt it's actually anybody in particular. I think it was just they went down to the local swimming pool yeah. and said, uh, you know, "Oh, there's a game going on here. We'll uh, we'll film this for a bit." <laughs> the thing I noticed most, in fact, well, no, tell a lie. I didn't notice it at all until the last time I rewatched this. I rewatched this about three times. I think. The size of the pretzel bowl. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I've got a big appetite and I could, you know, but bloody hell. <laughs> it's, it's a long game. It's yeah. A, yeah. They'd be like, they'd be, that need to be salt monsters, like, you know, <laughs> to, to be able to survive. They, you know, by the end of the night, they'd be sort of like, Look about a hundred where all the all the, the moisture in their bodies have been sucked out by the salt. It's unbelievable. Now there's a conspiracy theory for you. The Enterprise was entirely staffed by salt vampires. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, true. I it's just, true. It's huge. Yeah. I just feel sorry in the water polo game. I feel sorry for the horses. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to put that in. Uh, it's, about, it's, about as old, it's about as old as this TV program. Um, we um, we carry on with the scene, and uh, Trip is sort of getting it now. There's a point man involved. There's this and that. The, the size of the pool means something. Um, uh, but now we get Crewman Kelly calling in. Now this is really weird and this is something I've only learnt through my role working in the dockyard. You don't call the captain directly. Uh, it's something that aggravated me. She should have called her direct superior, which would have been Tucker. So it would have still got to the same room. The scene would have worked perfectly well, but I am being very pedantic here and she did the wrong thing. So, you know, naff to her. She should have been killed by the alien straight away for disregarding regulations and doing the wrong thing. Um, but um, well, I don't know. I mean, it could be a, a, a danger to ship and, and um, crew. I mean, straight to the captain, I would have thought. Uh, I don't know. I see how you stick to the rules. Stick to the rules. I'm a stigler for that. You and Reed. Yeah. <laughs> I do like a good explosion, I have to say. Uh, we get a cut off on the comms. So again, we've got our second crew member. It's a oop, and it cuts off. Um, they uh, go straight down. Phasers armed. They haven't got into their uniform. They're in their day clothes. But Reed is straight in there with a the security guard behind him as well. Gun pointed down. He's got his uniform. He's already in tactical assault mode. He, he does everything but have a grenade on him. I thought maybe you'd have a flashbang or something. You know, just throw it in and <laughs> start firing straight away. Um, <laughs> just, just setting off flashbangs for the, oh, but, I, but I like the explosions <laughs> <laughs> stop that we haven't even opened the door yet because <laughs> <laughs> I mean they've missed out on their movie so he wanted something so uh, that's it um, but they have lost two crew members at least at this point to some life form they know there is something in that cargo bay that shouldn't be there and this is my big bugbear for all of season one put on the damn environmental suits 
Now, this is uh, something that is played out in this episode, and we see it midway through with Flocks, and we see it right at the very end of the episode as well. They learn their lessons at some point and wear them. Why did they not wear them at the beginning? That is a bit of protection. Please do that in the future. So clearly, Reed is not learning any lessons from uh, previous episodes. Um, any ideas on how they attack it, first of all? They're kind of working out how they're going to attack it. Uh, the odd crewman who came in with him with a phase rifle instead of a pistol manages to do a little bit more damage uh just the whole scene of the captain being taken in trip and so on and so on well the first thing i thought about actually was um trip and archer being in their civvies and it really made me think of tng when they come straight out of the holodeck <laughs> and they're in like you know medieval costume or something and, and really i would have loved although you know i hate the sexy trek thing I would have loved to have, like, if only they had a holiday, they would have come out in their like, swimming trunks, still wet from the thing, you know. <coughs> that would have been great. From Waterpolo, um, yes. Yeah, from Waterpolo, yeah, they would have been playing. But, um, yeah, that was the first thing. So that really made me think of TNG, you know, because they, you know, and I, I, I expected Reed to sort of go, Captain, what have you done? You know, why aren't you wearing your uniform? I don't know if we ever see him out of uniform very much at all in this, this show. No. I can't think of, you know, well, only a riser, maybe. Yeah, 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 but that's they're it. very rarely outside out of their costumes or out of their sort of uniforms. Sorry, but yeah, again, this is the second time. You know, there's there's obviously something going on, and what they do, they all pile in at once. So if there's something in there, they can mm-hmm. just kill them all. You know, quite happily. So again, it's it's horror, it's horror film stupidity, isn't it? Um, they get away with it, obviously in this this case. Well, no, they don't. They um, Archer and Trip get caught. So you know, it's just like really. You're so right, you know, wear a suit or, or use a scanner or do something that isn't like just wandering in aimlessly to somewhere where you know it, they know at this point that one person sort of disappeared off the, mm-hmm. off the intercom, you know, just be like, have a bit of sense. I, th- I think it's funny when they're, when they're in the, um, the, the cargo hold or where, whatever it is, and the, the captain's been taken and trip's been taken and it's like reed and this other guy who's left and it, like you can see reed looking around and go oh what's going on here he said, oh stuff this i'm out of here and legs out the room yeah. quick <laughs> and then spends the rest of the time trying to get back in to kill this alien there's something the big i am at when you're outside the thing and then crapping your pants when you're inside the thing <laughs> have a bit of backbone man <laughs> there wasn't enough explosions so he just left he didn't see the point yeah. that was what it yeah. was um before we leave this scene though does it count as an archer abduction yes yes because he he, he has been taken by an alien to the point where nobody can get him away from yeah. the alien but he is on the ship yeah. mm. Yeah, being... but we didn't, didn't the um, Frenky one count the other day? True, true, true. Yeah, I just didn't know whether it sort of counted or he's still cogent. He's still able to communicate with the crew. You know, there's there's still an element of, you know, connection between him and everyone else. I didn't know I whether... Mean, it, it, does that invalidate it, it as an abduction as such? Well, if this had been in a cave on a planet, would that have been a, an abduction? Mm even though everybody could still be in the cave and talking to him and trying to work out what, what to do. Very true. Well, I think then yeah. that, that counts as uh, Archer abductions. My name is Jonathan Archer.
answer the question. Which means uh, that is now wow. a twenty. Was it twenty-seven percent of the time, Archer is uh, in some way kidnapped or taken out of command. So he's keeping up quite a high average. It's at least a quarter of the time our captain is being taken hostage in one season alone. And we've got three more to come. So uh, there we go. Yes. So okay. So we've got an Archer abductions, and uh, we've also had several other crew members taken so that's the captain we've had trip we've had this rostov character we've had crewman kelly and we've had our random red shirt remember him the guy who actually made some damage on the tentacles just bearing him in mind as we go through this episode just want to point out a few things uh we're going to go into a briefing scene next where there are five dots on the screen all entangled in this white mesh this web that is encased inside the cargo bay um Reed is suspecting attack. He's seeing attacks left, right and centre. So naturally, he wants to go on the offensive. And uh, he's bringing about this idea of a uh, EM field, you know, something I've been trying to work on. And uh, we all know what he's talking about, but this is still brand new technology for the day. Um, and Phlox is in the decon chamber uh, dissecting a tentacle that's managed to uh, be chopped off from uh, Reed closing that door as he was barreling out of it just at the very end. Um, Flox is wearing a suit, so well done, Flox. <laughs> uh, he is talking about it being uh, sentient and that there are patterns in frequencies in the discussion. Weirdly, Hoshi says there are frequency passion patterns which are similar to an Andorian language which is quite strange, but does support my little pet theory that's been running through a couple of episodes that language is somehow a brainwave pattern that can be scanned and is perhaps a secret part of the UT that's never quite outright said. Um, and if she's picking up brainwave patterns and it's ind indicative of a language, maybe that's supporting that theory from there. But generally, the briefing scene. Yes, the briefing scene. My brain isn't working right now. <laughs> So I can't remember the briefing scene. I watched it half an hour before we started recording this. <laughs> and I can't remember. I've got the give me, advantage. Give me, give me a clue. <laughs> I've got an advantage here because I can actually see it. I've got it playing right between your images at the moment. So I can see it. Um, see, this is first day nerves, isn't it? This is <laughs> yes. um, I, I, I can't. Sorry. So I had a whole season to fluff up first. So that was what season zero was all <laughs> yeah. about. So don't worry. No, I mean, this this whole scene really is pretty forgettable. I mean, the only bits I do remember is Flox dissecting the actual ah, um, yes. um, alien and it, trying to crawl up his arm and he takes it off and all this. And I, and I think most of it was sort of the, this and the previous scene uh, was a little disappointing with the CGI of the actual mm. tentacles and all that. And I thought you could do so much better with a bit of rubber and a couple of suckers on the end of it. You know, it would <laughs> it would still look more believable than, than what I'm seeing there. And the, the actors are struggling to to act around things that aren't there. So give them something phys physical to work with, they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, the actual um, briefing, as Tan says, it's it's not really memorable. It's just the uh, you know what should we do? Let's try this and, and yeah, we'll give it we'll give it, we'll give this um, EM stuff a go. It's yeah, uh, Reed is an needlessly antagonistic towards T'Pol. Um, he's pushing his idea of an EM field. Flox, it, it's the standard trope of a horror movie. You know, the scientist is in the lab dissecting the piece of the monster they've been able to find. Um, it's weird because I've just been watching ahead for the Epsilon Three podcast and watching um, the uh, Grail 
episode where there is a tentacle involved and it is a puppet it is a hand operated piece of rubber and it's got suction and it's got sort of a, a very uh quivering kind of movement to it because someone is operating it as opposed to this cgi and considering this show came out quite a few years after babylon 5 why couldn't they do the same thing there we go yeah it's all about technology isn't it trying to make it cheaper yes you don't have to pay people to make these little things and make them into puppets and make them look silly like little silly puppets we can make <laughs> it much better with cgi <laughs> no you can't you really can't curious though that both episodes i mean this is episode 20 for the run of this first season and we're in our first season for babylon 5 and grail is in the 18 to 20 mark so do you always have like a tentacle creature around about this mark? Is this a formula for season one that we've missed out and that I'm going to spot for future episodes? Who knows? Um, Archer and, uh, and uh, Trip are sort of entombed and are starting to read each other's minds. It's a really strange sensation. And they're picking up on past games of water polo that Archer is thinking about not um, uh, giving in to certain... Um, uh, the need to give up basically and, and archer is sort of trying to keep their spirits up and they're, they're having these little conversations which are really nice little go-betweens for all the crew you know archer is talking to rostov just like he's a mate he's a chum um which we've been wondering we've been trying to pin down archer's character for a few episodes now and he kind of feels like the dad the family dad captain um which other captains have had before but at least as far as the crew are concerned he seems to be a very fatherly figure to them uh, any thoughts on that sort of uh, side of things for Archer. To be honest, I can't. No, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I don't know. It that bit for me felt very American. I think if we was on a, a British starship, for want of a better word, Reed would be exploding everything every week. Yes. Well, exactly. Yes, absolutely. But I don't know whether the captain would be quite so much like, no, we're, we're two down with a minute to go, and we knew we could win it. No, <laughs> it was it was very American that, and sort of. Yeah, I think if this was an episode of Doctor Who, you know, or a British sci-fi, it'd be a very handled very differently. I think, it's, yeah, that was very American. I think um, uh, Scott Bakula does play it well. I think he does play that um, fatherly figure uh, really well. He's and he is that little bit older than most of them, so um, I think it, it sort of comes across as as being a genuine feeling that he's got for for, for people. Um, very much a father figure to them. I think, and I think that runs pretty much right the way through the um, the entire series. Hmm. Um, and it's it's something that I I quite like. You know, it's somebody he's who's protective of his crew and and you know trying to create it as a family and bring people together and things, which is a great way to run a starship if you're going to be a long you know, away for long periods of time. Hmm. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, but I think. Uh, sorry, Tom. I was going to say, is it a sort of Picard moment for him? Mm. Did you... I don't know whether Picard really was that sort of family sort of person. I think he he was very much sort of removed and reserved and being very British about things. I mean, yes, you'd be saying about being a, a totally different thing, being a British um, series. Well, certainly a British captain. Um, it was a different feeling. Uh, he struggled with kids. He struggled with yeah. uh, you know people under him. But, you know, his equals he was okay with. But I think mm. um, Archer is very much... Uh, you know, looking at the crew as a, a fatherly figure. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. It's uh, it's certainly reflected um, in the fact that he he's always trying to keep them going. In, in every scene that they have, wherever they go back and cut back to the web, it's always him 
trying to keep all of them together. Um, even when he's starting to lose consciousness, Trip is sort of picking up on his sensations and is trying to vocalize them. You know, I can feel you're leaving. I can feel you're, 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 you're losing sensations. You know, we're all going to keep this together. It's almost like he's talking for Archer because they're becoming so linked. And yeah, it, it, it sort of plays out. And it's so far kind of fits the character the whole season long. Whereas uh, his dealings with alien races and civilizations has been up and down, up and down. There doesn't seem to be a, a direct moral compass, at least as far as commanding the crew. He is Papa Captain, Daddy Captain. Um, yeah, uh, there is that at least believable side to his character. Um, they uh, storm in to the to the cargo bay with their newfound sort of EM emitter phasers that they're going to try out, which fail. This is where we learn about how it's all linking up. It's now down to Hoshi because they have failed, but they did go in again without their EV suits on. I am going to hammer this point home. It worked for Phlox. The tentacle was going up his arm. It couldn't get in. It couldn't puncture. And they didn't go in with their suits on. Uh, at least, you know, take the helmet off, you know, if that's, you know, uh, restricts your view of field of vision, whatever. But keep the suits on so you got a bit of protection, guys. Um, Hoshi is now up. She now needs to figure out how she's going to um, uh, can communicate with this thing. And we get a ticking clock through Phlox in that he's monitoring the heart rate. You've got a few hours to do this. You have to complete this mission within a set time. This is where I think the episode pace picks up for me. So far now, it's felt a bit plodding. It's taking its time. Whereas it's now we've got the ticking clock. Phlox has given us a reason, the impetus to really push this plot through. Was that something you guys picked up on or was did you find the pacing was okay? I think it was a little bit slow. I agree. I thought that actually that was probably one of my not crit well, criticism, I suppose, yeah. What I thought also was interesting, my partner picked up on this actually, was that um the bit where Malcolm and Topol are talking to Hoshi and she's saying, Well, perhaps we can try to communicate. And they're like, No, we're gonna shoot it. We're gonna you know <laughs> Why not just like start doing the research? now anyway just in case mm -hmm. no there's a bit later on um where um they they talk about going to see the catastrophes or maybe it's i can't remember if it's happened already i'm, I'm having a nightmare um <laughs> but um and and um and travis has already started looking for him mm -hmm. and it's like thank god you know how many times <laughs> are we still in star trek where you know the klingons are decloaked and I'm about to shoot, and then the guy's waiting to see if we should put the shields up or not. You know, <laughs> has to ask the captain. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no sort of like, you know, self, self fault in start in them um, Starfleet. Mm -hmm. It's always like, you know, captain, there's a, there's a Klingon bird of prey. Should we put the, the, um, <laughs> the shields up or not? Well, what do you think? You know, <laughs> I mean, so, um, yeah. So why, why, you know, why say, so yeah, Hoshi, okay, we're going to try to shoot this. But in the meantime, yeah, what a good, good idea. Try to see if we can, you know, we can work something out here. Mm. It's, it's a really odd thing with Star Trek. They, they do it all the time. They, they wait. They spend so much time waiting for instruction that, you know, by, in, in real life, they'd all be dead by now. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I, I, um, I, was, I was about to say, no, I thought the pacing was okay. Um, I hadn't really noticed. And then suddenly I remembered that um, as I was watching this originally, uh, I was thinking, oh, this has been going on for quite a long time. Now, what, you know, how long have we got left in this TV program? I need to be doing something a bit later. I want to make sure I've got enough time. Look down, but 
17 minutes. Oh, come on. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. So it, maybe uh, the pace was a little slow at the beginning because it just seemed to drag. Um, and I think that the second half of it certainly did pick up because I, you know, the, the time flew by after that. So um, I, th I think you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I hadn't uh, appreciated it the first time, but yes, now that you mention it, you're right. Mm. Because now it, it just flows one scene after the next. It's either um, Hoshi and T'Pol and their interplay and the continual sort of Vulcan splaining, which is a, a politeness, like you said, Dan, of, of Vulc Vulcan society, but also she's trying to push her and she appreciates how good she is and that she's showing her confidence in her abilities by being so pushy, uh, which was, I thought, a fantastic little scene and made perfect sense for both characters to interact in that way. Um, we have... Travis finding the Kratassans. I absolutely adore his scene on the bridge when he's talking to yeah. them. And he, the first thing he does is just look around the bridge and there's literally no one around. <laughs> no one. And I have had that exact experience um, working in the foreign office a few years ago, a few jobs back, uh, back in the long past. I was that underling. I had to take the phone call. I, I worked on Saturday um, afternoons so I could man the desk, the phones, in case a thing comes through. And I pick up the phone, and lo and behold, it is um, the, the guy in charge of the embassy. Not the ambassador, but just the guy just underneath him who wants to talk to blah, 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 blah. And I am like, uh, trying to remember all the training, trying to remember who I'm supposed to call first. Uh, yeah, that, that, that sounds fantastic. Uh, let me just put you on hold. Put the phone down don't hold the button and it just hangs up on him. So I have to call him back and be the underling. <laughs> I had visions of this scene going that way that Travis like pushes the rim button. He insults the Kratassans again because he's hung up on them. But fortunately he doesn't. And he has this wonderful apology scene, which is so sincere. And I love how he explains the past half of the episode, almost like he's a teenager. It's like, there's this whole thing. It's got tentacles, but it's not really tentacles. It's like tendrils, and it looks like this. And do you know what it is? Have you heard of this? And he's all kind of questions, and he's just talking. Um, wonderful little scene. And Travis got to do something again. I think I should keep an, as much of a tally of Archer abductions as I should for Travis, because I'm pretty sure he's got 20% as well of actually having something to do every episode. Um, just any thoughts on uh, how things are shaping up, the finally all of the crew are coming together and have this joint effort. This was my favourite scene in the uh, in the whole of the show. Um, Travis not only has something to do, it's pivotal to the whole um, episode. Mm. He, you know, all by himself, as you say, has to deal diplomatically with you know, uh, the, you know, this guy who's in front of him, who has basically feels as though he's the the whole of humanity has insulted him in a great way. But, I mean, I thought it was, it was a bit weird and a little bit dismissive. He said, oh, you can speak English. You, oh, you can speak our language. He said, oh, yes, we, we found that. We, we sorted that out in a few minutes. That was easy, you know. <laughs> I think, oh, right, okay. Well, it, it does move the, the episode along. Um, mm -hmm. But um, to, I thought his apology, his description of, of an understanding of what had gone wrong and why they, they were insulted and, and all this type of thing, to realise what it was and not go, oh, but it's just eating. We do that every day. <laughs> you know, we, we all get together and do it. And then instead of making it worse, he says, oh, that was the problem. Right, I apologise. And it was. It was a good piece of acting as well because mm. he sounded so sincere, uh, very contrite, um, put his point forward and said, yeah, we're really sorry. I was hoping he was going to say, and we won't let it happen again. But he didn't. You know, he carried that on. <clears throat> 
And um, it was a, a really good scene. And then uh, even better, the alien says, hmm. And, and, and looks at him and says, you know, that was a really good apology. Oh, well, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you very much. And it wasn't, well, okay then, or whatever. He didn't get all huffy about it. He, he took it on as, as being, a, you know, as, as it should be, a, you know, the, the proper apology, politely done, correctly done, with respect. The only problem was then is he says, okay, I accept the apology. But then Travis sits down and goes, Oh, I've got it written down because I knew I knew I forget it. But now could I have those coordinates? (laughs) (laughs) And the whole apology just fell apart. And you just say, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry. We won't won't do this again. We understand where you're coming from. Right. Okay, I agree. Across a different way because it just seemed to devalue the whole apology. <laughs> no, but he did do he did a great job, and and obviously uh, I think Archer should have noted that later on in the episode. Mm. I think it, it needed a little bit of a callback to it and to say, yeah, oh, and thanks, Travis, you did a great job. We've now got some more friends, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, or you know what they gave us helped us. Now we can help them, and you know, an alliance of forms or whatever. But you know, unfortunately, we didn't get that. I thought um, the scene between Topol and um, Hoshi was really good, actually, particularly for the fact that Hoshi really stood up for herself. Mm-hmm. She yes. she feels so much more confident suddenly. Mm. And and really the thing about um, Topol sort of valuing her, actually, although you know, she should have just said that at the start. Why don't you just say, no, I'm, I'm going to, you know, this, we're under pressure, we've got to get it done, but you're doing a great job, man. Mm-hmm. No, but no, she just keeps this sort of, you know, this undercut sort of, you know, criticism and stuff going until the last minute when she goes, well, actually, yeah, you're great, man. You know, but <laughs> but she could have just said it at the start and, and avoided all the, you know, all the hassle and all the sort of, you know, the difficulty between the two of them. And I, I agree, Travis, I mean, yeah, it must be, it, I would say that it might, that might have been his top 10 longest scenes in the whole series. <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me at all if that that is one of his longest scenes ever. When we do the twenty one fifty one review, we'll have to time all the scenes and, and yeah. rate them by how long they lasted. Yeah. Just to see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. when was the last time you saw him on screen for that long? Yeah. Yeah, we had a little bit entertained where he was talking to the guy trying to write the journal. Other than that, other than a couple of scenes which he shared with other people, I can't think of something that's just his. It's yeah. really strange. But yeah, um, we uh, get Reed uh, testing out the new EM uh, fields right next to the torpedoes. It's uh, the third time this season he's got someone firing a phaser right next to active torpedoes. Just pointing that out. Um, and they are still not going in with EV suits. They've gone in again now to set up these EM fields. We're reaching the end of the episode where they are testing the EM field, which now works um, or possibly works. Um but he's so convinced of his success, I guess, that he's not putting on the suit. So maybe I'll let him off this one time. But at least four times now he's gone in without a suit on. Um, We get flocks coming in. Hoshi's now got something. They're all coming together. Hoshi's got this little uh, decryption pad based on mathematics and algorithms. Um, We've got flocks again giving us more of a ticking clock with stats for all of the crew members well i say all of the crew members remember crewman number five there were only four 
Only four heartbeats being tra tracked on this whole thing. It's almost like there's a missing part to this episode where we lost someone because also the diagram only shows four little spots in the web. Uh, so uh, we seem to have forgotten uh, crewman him, crewman number five, uh, the guy who actually did some damage, but, uh, but Reed bolted it out the door. Uh, he just got forgotten. Uh, there we go. Uh, but this whole scene where they're communicating and it's kind of like whale song. It's a weird tonal shift, but it's it's so alien and so different, even to the Kratassans right at the beginning of the episode. Uh, it's so alien. Any thoughts on the, the end of the episode? I, I think we got the same thing again. They've all gone in there all together at the same time. Hmm. No suits, no knowledge whether they're going to get eaten or not. Just all in there, horror horror movie time again. Um, I also think um, there was a bit when when um, Hoshi started the translator, and it's just like, mm, and straight away reads like, "What's that? <laughs> That's not good." <laughs> it's just like, "What? Give, give her a chance, you know?" I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable, you know. And 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 read, of course. A glee, I think, in his eye almost of when when the when the um, force field works. You know, he's like, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. What did he say? Did he say earlier in the episode like Starfleet had been working this for like five years or something? And he spent sort of quarter of an hour in in the thing. And, oh yeah, that's how you do it. You know, that works. And, and again, yeah. I don't think we ever see the force fields again in Enterprise. Don't I, I'm, no, actually, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I don't think we do. And it's like, yeah. well, you know, what happened there? You know. <laughs> it, it worked that one time. You, it, yeah. it was just that one fluke time. Yeah, I don't actually remember. I th do we see them later in the Zindi arc? Maybe like in certain bulkheads have been like sort well, of maybe, maybe, enhanced? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Paul? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I, can't, I can't remember seeing force fields any, anywhere else. But then again, I've only ever watched this once, and it was a, a few years ago, so I'd have to rack my brains a bit more. The The scene that I did like, though, was the scene with uh, Flox and Reed in sickbay, mm. when uh, Reed wanted to go in shooting the alien and killing it, and Flox was saying, but it's an intelligent being, and we can't do that. And Reed says, no, I, I, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm, we're going to go in, we're going to shoot it. And Flox just puts his hand up over the uh, device that Reed has just put on the thing. And he says, uh, uh, Reed says, you know, you, Doctor, I outrank you. Mm. And the Doctor says, not in my sickbay, you don't. <laughs> you know, unless, the, unless the captain's here to, uh, you know, to override it. Mm. And I love that because instantly it puts the, doc the Doctor, does have, it does outrank anybody, even the captain, on the ship when it comes to medical matters. Um, mm. And, you know, they can uh, take them out, you know, they, they can relieve them of their command if they think they're not you know, capable of commanding. Um, and nobody can outrank them in that respect. Uh, yes, when it comes to other decisions or when they're not in the sick bay or wherever, if a medical decision isn't being made, yes, of course, they're, a, they're just a doctor, you know. Um, but certainly I loved Flock's just total, total command to, no, you're not mm. doing it. I outrank you in this sick bay. Mm. Or if the, you know, if, the, if the captain's not here. And then he says, well, well, the captain's in the, you know, in, locked away in the, in the cargo bay. He goes, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just love that. Yeah. Billings is brilliant. I love him as, mm. as Fox. And uh, this, is, this is a great scene for him. Yeah, Fox is just great, isn't he? It, it, it's another one. Just like Hoshi uh, going against Apollo. 
Uh, here we see Flocks going against Reed. There's a mm. number of little things that are very similar scenes with different people all through the the episode. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's there's a scene with in the cinema, well not in the cinema, but in the, when they show the film, and the bit where the interference comes across and it shows different things and reads up and is like we got to stop this mm. because I get like I think the reason he's done that is because he's worried that this might happen again, mm -hmm. and he's like in his quarters, like torturing mice or something because he's a, bit of a, <laughs> he's a psycho. <laughs> he's a psycho, yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, that's what it is. He's like, oh, God, you know, what if they, you know, in my quarters, I'm, like, you know, or I'm sort of, you know, I'm, make, I'm making little explosions and, you know, <laughs> letting off fireworks or whatever it is yeah. that he does. It would, have been a, it would have been a better scene, wouldn't it, if they're all sat there and everybody's watching it as these scenes come up. And if you just cut away to the audience, the audience suddenly goes, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and we never know what they saw. Yeah. You know? It's just like, leave mm. that to your imagination. <laughs> But the thing is, the device that he was putting on that thing looked like a CD player to me. So I thought maybe he wasn't testing the Ian Fields. He was just going to play it some Coldplay and just see what his reaction was going to be. Because naturally, Reed is a Coldplay fan. You just know it. You just yeah. know he is. Um, <laughs> they um, they win the day. Yellow. We yellow as well. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, he must be an ELO fan. Um, <laughs> we uh, we kind of see that the day is already won before it's won. Uh, Flox is starting to smile. He's saying there's an increase in heart rate. It's clearly working. So we've now established communications. They are able to be released. The creature withdraws itself and the crew are sort of dropped to the ground. Uh, we don't really get any other sort of fallout you know it would have been nice to have that scene like paul mentioned of uh travis getting a thank you for what he did with the cretacens you did what we couldn't do all this kind of stuff but we didn't we just cut straight to the shuttle being launched down to the home world of this creature and it's being released they're all wearing their ev suits well done crew and they are being returned or this is being returned to itself it's not one organism of many it is one giant organism um there's kind of a weak ending for me I, again i'm going to hold it over to you but there's a sort of why did it take our crew in the first place from reed and flocks is again that b movie scientist who just gives that one line that's supposed to be really important and potentious or prophetic and it's just it, maybe it was seeking companionship and it just it just fell a bit flat for me i don't know about you guys i don't know if that worked well for you guys but I don't know. It just it felt like it was just shoehorned in to make Vox Solar as the or Solar as the title make sense. Any thoughts? Uh, well, I thought um, one thing I thought, and again, I'm going to drop out of the the um, of the um, fiction of this. But I thought about when they dropped Archer. I think it was Archer you see particularly onto the floor, and you just think, God, that must have been a gnarly episode to make. <laughs> I would love to know how long they spent in that goop. <laughs> you know, oh god, they must have been like, oh, thank god, this is over. I've had enough of this. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that, that's the point. I mean, the, the point I was making before is, is you've got, you know, you, you see a lot of these tendrils going around people, and it's all CGI, and then they go into a room, and it's full of the stuff. <laughs> you've got every single piece you could want there that you could use as a practical effect, you know, for people fighting with it or whatever. It's all there. They've made it. And yet they <laughs> still have to use CGI for parts of it. There were a couple of things in this episode I wasn't too sure about. One of them was um, uh, Flox's voice. They they had to redub almost an entire scene when he was in sickbay. Um, 
which you could, you could tell the audio was not the same. It didn't have that echoey effect of being in a room. It was very much muffled and dubbed. Um, a couple of times he said things I didn't think he'd even got into the character. I think he was using his own voice uh, for, for, for like two sentences. He said, I thought, oh, oh, that's just not Phlox. That's not his voice. And then I've heard uh, John Billingsley and I thought, well, I wonder if he, he wasn't quite in character or was this filmed early on? Maybe some of these scenes were filmed early on and he didn't quite have the character right. But this is like, well, we're in episode 20, something or other. It, it's, it, you know, it doesn't seem to be right. So um, I, I couldn't, I, and I've looked everywhere to try and find some trivia on it and whether whether there was any issues with sound or anything. But um, he didn't seem um, quite right. He was a little off in some other scenes. Phenomenal. He was, you know, mm. he was great, mm. really uh, it was really good. Um, I mean, that's it. Sort of just took me out the out of the scene a couple of times when I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't expecting it because any scene with Flocks, I love it. And then I was like, oh no, you, you've redubbed your voice there. Because, oh, well, maybe sound you know sound issues do happen, and we have to redub. But it was uh, um, very strange when he uh, there was a, a couple of sentences, and I thought, no, that's not that's just not him at all. <laughs> that's interesting. I think I agree with you um, that the ending was a strange ending it was they i think we spoke about this last time but this this way they've been writing episodes or seemingly writing episodes with this sort of slow start and then a, a quick sort of ending and this was almost like the the, the sort of the problem with that idea mm -hmm. is that they, the ending was so quick and so slight that it sort of you know it was like mm. You know, it almost sort of it disappeared. Almost, you know, it was mm. a strange one. I, yeah. I think that a lot of episodes of Enterprise do this, and I think it's because it's it's about what was it forty two minutes or something long, maybe somewhere mm. around there. It's very short and very quick, and in order to get all of that story in, they cut the ends off, and they, they sometimes you come into a into a um, the start of the show very quickly as well. Um, and I think the ending, and I've seen it a lot of times in Enterprise, where they, they'll come to an end and boom, it's finished and you're off. You know, it's, mm. And I think it's purely down to the time. They, they try to get as much story in as they can and then forget the ending, but you know, we'll just move on. Mm. Yeah, They've, they seem to have had a really strong concept for this episode. An alien creature like nothing we've seen before, uh, a form of communication that Hoshi's never dealt with, um a crew that are sort of coming together and using a new piece of technology the em field that will later become so important later on they had all these disparate bits but they didn't really know how to structure it into a 42 minute episode that would have made sense paced right and everything like that maybe they were too focused on getting those things in without really thought of how it was going to be strung together um or linked in some way um Maybe that was it. Maybe there was just, you know, so many ideas flinging around and it's coming to the end of season one. Maybe they've just run out of juice at this point. Um, I know that in previous episodes we've already had where they were talking about acquisition. They threw in the Ferengi as a desperate play to get ratings. Yeah. They're, they're already reaching desperation in the end of the first season. So that must be playing into the writing process overall. Um, any other thoughts generally on the episode before we move on to our next criteria? The only thing I'd like to add is I, I like the fact that the alien is very alien. Mm. Uh, we often have alien, well, we not often, that's ridiculous. We almost always have aliens on episodes of Star Trek, but they're so often relatable or, or you know, they're all bipeds that, you know, we quite quickly establish communication. It's all sort of quite easy. I mean, obviously we have, you know, 
problems and stuff, but th- there's a sort of common commonality between them. Mm. And this one I quite like because it's so alien. Mm. That that's something that's quite unusual. I think I wish Star Trek did it a bit more often, actually. But it, you know, because I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. And what do we know? But I would imagine that even aliens that are similar to us would be very alien to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so I think this is so much closer to the reality of what maybe alien life would be like. Um, you know. Like, there's always so sort of the idea of um, convergent evolution where, you know, intelligent beings tend to come from bipedal, you know, blah, blah, blah. I could go into it, but, but yeah, it, but it just, I just like that alienness of it. It really works for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. The, the, um, the aliens here, it, this is a typical Star Trek uh, trope through every episode of Star Trek, you'll find this. Um, at the beginning of this show, we have aliens who are being, you know, aggressive and oh, dismissive, and you don't understand what they're saying. They're obviously really annoyed. You can see by the, the body language. Turns out later, they actually become friends, and it could be quite a good alliance. And then we have this other alien, which is abducting people and killing them by sucking on them. And uh, we talk to it, and then eventually, that becomes a friend as well. They obviously return it back, and it's you know, they, they communicate with it. And then there's other episodes where somebody will come in really friendly and really nice, and then they turn out to be trying to nick your android, you know, commander who's like, you know, because <laughs> he's a toy or something, you know. So you suddenly they're a bad guy, and it's the, it's every time as soon as you watch an episode of Star Trek, and we'll mention this in the, you know, is this Star Trek enough for other people? Hmm. Uh, certainly, this is one of them. You know, if you see an alien and they're nice, they're the bad guys. And if they come on <laughs> the bad guys, they're going to turn out to be uh, the helpful people at the end. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that note, I think we move on to the next criteria, which is C for consequences. What are the consequences for Starfleet, the Federation and the future of the galaxy based on this episode? We'll start with Paul. I think we've just made two new alliances, two new friends in the galaxy. Um, both could come in handy in the future. Um, the um, uh, the alien blobby thing, well, it's just a, a, you know, obviously a nice little thing to have. Um, the um how do you pronounce it Cretaceans, um mm-hmm. or Cretaceans, Cretaceans, them lots of e's and lots of s's yeah. in the name yeah um crustaceans whatever they are they <laughs> um I, I get then they seem uh, once travis has given the apology they seem quite friendly enough and um you know, uh, amiable and maybe there's some uh, some things we could uh, develop there so yeah i think uh, long term i think we've got two new alien friends yeah, I broadly agree with that. I think you're right. I mean, I think the disappointing thing, I suppose, is that we never see them. Well, actually, we see the Cretaceans again. Cretaceans, <laughs> I'm saying it now. <laughs> Cretaceans again. It's um, Voxelar, Voxelar, Voxelar. Everything's got its own. Voxel Corsa and the Cretaceans. There we go. <laughs> yeah. But we never see the whatever it is, the, the, the string being again, I don't think. And... Um, yeah, but also I think other than that, I mean, there's not anything, is there? Again, it's a it's a season one episode. Mm. <laughs> it's just you know, I quite enjoyed it actually. I thought it was quite a good episode, mm. but it doesn't really play into anything later. I know there's an episode um, later on with the quotations. God, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to call them the the alien, the, the bipedal aliens. That's what I'm going to call them now. <laughs> the um, so there's another, yeah, so there's another episode with them in it. Um, but other than that, really, no, nothing, nothing really. Yeah. EM fields, first time it's used, but again, yeah, like you say, true. it's hard for us to think right now in our just recall brains of when this is used again in Enterprise. So it doesn't really have an immediate effect, although it establishes that Reed is the person who began the EM fields. He's also the guy who's begun quite a few things that sort of matter later on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's worked out how to torpedoes work. Reed is pretty much responsible for everything that security is going to have in the future. Um, and again, Worf must be very jealous as he's sitting in Starfleet Academy reading all these reports that he got to blow stuff up and he got to make the first EM field. How important is Reed? You know, Hoshi might get studied for all her linguistic capabilities, but Reed's pretty important. Um, uh, but yeah, other than that, can't think of any other uh, consequences maybe um dealing with uh, offense in a culture maybe get maybe get a full download first of what constitutes uh, sex and eating in a culture might be a good thing uh, maybe don't leave a junior uh, comms officer also on his own in the bridge he's not even a comms officer is he no yeah exactly yeah he's just uh, he's just a navigator yeah. he's, a, he's a pilot that's it yeah He's just the bloke that happens to be there when the, when the phone goes. Yeah. Can, can, can you imagine Chekhov doing that in the original series? You know, like somebody comes up on the main screen and he goes, uh, oh, yes, I'm commanding this vessel. Uh, oh, oh. You're looking around going, oh, there's only me on the bridge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me apologize on behalf of all the crew to you the crustaceans i mean the cretaceans um cretaceans. <laughs> and i'm sorry about captain kirk and your daughter <laughs> again again <laughs> and your wife <laughs> right okay so uh moving on to the next criteria uh we're going to go for um a for alterations, which also stands for expansions. Is there anything specifically from this episode we would want to see more of, done differently? Go for it. Uh, we'll go with Dan first. No, do you know what? I quite enjoy this episode. I don't think it's a brilliant episode, but I think it's a pretty decent first season episode. I think um, you could always tweak an episode. Of course you could. You know, there's always, like, you know, you can always make it a little bit better. You look back on it and, you know, but I think actually it was a pretty decent episode. I enjoyed it. It was a little bit slow paced to begin with, but I think it made up for that. I um, enjoyed Hoshi and her sort of newfound confidence. I thought that um, Reed was really funny in that he was all about the explosions this week, you know, and it openly, you know, quite happy to say yeah i love an explosion you know <coughs> so really overall i really quite enjoyed it yeah so i don't think i'd make any alterations really i mean you know maybe the cgi i think you're right but i can't remember what i thought about at the time maybe like with a lot of cgi it looked okay at the time mm-hmm. um you know but yeah so no i'm gonna leave it alone this week oh well dan's just said it all for me yeah i mean it's technically i would, I would alter the cgi and the sound issues they had um but but that's just a minor you know, quibble um i thought this was a very good episode as well i like the interactions between, and the, like i said confidence uh, building of hoshi and of flocks uh you know both arguing their cases mm. um the um 
uh, to Paul's scenes, obviously, you know, did, uh, helping Hoshi and, and it then coming uh, apparent that, you know, she she actually does have her in high regard and she likes her. And, you know, it, that's just the Vulcan way not to tell anybody what they feel, obviously. So, I mean, they, they uh, and to be hard on their, on their, uh, their pupils. Um, I think that's always been the, the, the Vulcan way. So, uh, and to see Hoshi then sort of acknowledge that that's what's happened and oh right okay then you know there is something here between us and, and you know so she's feeling a bit more uh wanted um it was it was good in the respect that because the captain and the first officer got uh, put to one side the rest of the crew got some time on the screen mm. i love the lower decks parts you get to see a little bit of lower decks bits going on um uh, other crew members you know there's gener generic you know engineer and and you know the the, the or is the uh, you know the, the as we have the horror person who gets kidnapped first, and then the second one goes after them. Yeah, that's all. You know, but I mean, it's more. You know, it's, we see more of the crew, which is good. It gives you. Mm. It's not just five people on the Enterprise. There's more than that. You know, there's other people in other bits that do things. Um, so yeah, I, I really did it, and I don't think I would alter uh, anything in the storyline. I think it worked very well as it was. Um, I think if you do change one slight thing, it would probably have too much of an effect on the rest of it. So, yeah, as Dan said, leave it alone. It's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I said there, it was very slow to begin with for the first half, and then you get this ticking clock. Maybe I would have introduced the ticking clock earlier. You know, Flox is detecting it's it's affecting their life signs, but he doesn't know why. And then we later find out that they're being linked together. So the ticking clock starts a bit earlier. And as Dan said, Travis has his little mission, Hoshi has their mission, and Reed has his mission all happening at the same time. Whereas DePaul was, Reed is the only one to be acti active. When he fails, then Hoshi comes in. When she fails or is having a setback, then Travis goes to try and find the crustaceans, crustaceans and so forth. Um, you know, have them all go in at the same time. Topol is an efficient character. She would have had three plans all running at the same time and probably been concocting her own at the same time and have it a full on paced episode. You know, are they going to get there before their life signs drop below 20? You know, that the kind of speed element to it maybe would have made it a little bit more of an oomph to the episode. But it's a nice, slow paced B movie horror sci fi trope and it plays into it it's that slow creepy move up to having the crew gradually disappearing into the into the weird cargo bay that's dark um you know you have your fifth crew member who doesn't get mentioned again for the rest of the episode um yeah there's all these little things i would love a little side episode if i'm thinking of expansions about this weird life form where were they in the future are they still around by the 24th century where were they against the borg they would be amazing they couldn't be caught they wouldn't be able to be stopped they could just grow inside and rip the, the you know the borg nodes apart from the inside because they could get inside all the conduits and stuff you know a, a crew member on discovery who is one of those in a little uniform and it's all weird loosely fitting and they're just really gangly and going everywhere that would be fantastic um but also a little side adventure and have a lower decks episode where it's lieutenant hess kelly rostoff you know, maybe crewman cutler um you know have a little book or a mini series about these guys and they're having like a, a, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstein adventure whilst other things are happening during the Zindi arc, you know, just something else happening. Uh, but that's just me. I would love to know more all the time. I would love to know more, but as far as the changing episode, I'm just going to mirror you guys. They're exactly the same. Um, I, think, I think it I works. Think, yeah. I think one thing you were saying about the slow paced part at the beginning, that slow paced part gave us the, um, the film uh, scene, and the um, the dining scene. Mm. So even though it was slow paced, 
There was A, world building, B, great scenes. Nice little insight into what happens on a normal day, Mm -hmm. those sort of scenes. So, yeah, I mean, it makes, even though it was slow, it was good. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, our next uh, criteria is R for recommendations. Now, we always do recommendations for Star Trek fans and then for non Star Trek fans. Starting with Paul. Uh, would we recommend this episode to Star Trek fans? And is there any sort of trivia you want to bring into that? Absolutely. I think this is a really good episode. I think it's one of the better ones of Discovery. If uh, a seasoned uh, a veteran of, uh, of Star Trek watching wants to see this and hasn't seen it before, then you say, yeah, this is one of the ones to see. It's everything you want in, a, in, a, in an episode. Um, and... Uh, Another little thing that we have we we didn't mention was the um, uh, crustacean captain or whoever you, however you pronounce that um, is uh, Vaughn Armstrong, mm. and you wouldn't recognise him because he's got so much prosthetics on it's you know you, you don't see him, but the the acting of the the, the movement of him even though he's in this uh, all of this gear. You can see his body body language and his head's moving around a lot and he's looking and his eyes and you know you can all see it in the eyes great bit of acting by him mm-hmm. um obviously uh um oh i can't think of his name admiral forest his name forest um yeah so even though we you go know, they're still using him even though he's not you know on screen as admiral forest they're still using the actor which is really good um and the other thing is that um rostov was um, actually well, actually was supposed to be Trip Tucker. He was going to be, you know, the Trip Tucker. But obviously, um, it was down to the two of them, and uh, Trinea ended up getting the job. Mm-hmm. Now, I would have loved to have seen a little scene, maybe even an off-screen, you know, that, you know, cut cut out or something, of when the, he's all wrapped up in the in the gear, going, oh, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. You know, Connor Trinea comes in and goes, "This is what happens when you don't get the job of, of first officer. <laughs> you end up you end up in the goop." <laughs> but also, um, he. Uh, because we, we haven't uh, said that uh, this is directed by uh, Roxanne Dawson mm. of uh, Voyager uh, fame. And uh, again, Joseph Will, who plays Rostov, uh, had guest starred um, in Star Trek Voyager, um, where he had so he shared significant screen time with director Roxanne Dawson, who was then performing as Belana Torres. So it's nice to see that. I don't know whether it was or not, or whether she had any input into bringing him in, or whether it's just a coincidence or what. I don't know. But uh, that was that was good to see, and probably why he got quite a bit of on-screen time, and he did seem to do quite well. That's quite common actually in Star Trek, isn't it? They often, I mean, famously, obviously, um, the man whose name I can't remember right now, um, Jeffrey Coombs. Jeffrey Coombs, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, fame to, to the point of almost ridiculousness now, really. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, and they seem to do that quite often. There's you often see an actor will play, you know, in different series or different episodes and stuff. It's just, I don't know what that is. I don't know why that is. I guess it's a sort of small community or something, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there is that. I think once they get somebody they know who they can trust to come in on time, to be prepared to put yeah. makeup on, that is moaning all the time. Because some people come in and moan about having to put so much prosthetics on and then disappear and never you never see them again. But if these guys were willing to do it, then you bring them in again and again. It must be cheaper. There must be some sort of rates that if you have yeah. somebody on staff, it might be cheaper than if they have to keep bringing in guest stars or the billing of it probably has some effect on it as well um but i mean jeffrey coombs i don't know i don't know the official figure on how many aliens he played but uh vaughn armstrong played 12 characters so that's wow. you know that's quite a, a large amount yeah no 
money then, I think. Yeah, I yeah. would have thought so, yeah. yeah. Well, because he's got TNG, because he was a Klingon yeah. in TNG, so he's done technically more of the seasons or series. <laughs> So uh, maybe he holds it over him every time they meet up at a convention. It's like, have you done another one yet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but there we go. Um, yes. So based on all of that, is it an important episode to Star Trek fans, both behind and in front of the screen? Well, behind the screen, yes. Uh, in, uh, is it important to Star Trek fans in what way? Because well, would we recommend this episode because it's got oh, Raxan Dawson, so it's got royalty from Star Trek, you know, you've got uh, faces you might remember from other episodes. Would you recommend it more because it's now really getting into the family behind the scenes of making these episodes? I, pr- I probably wouldn't recommend it for that as, as such. It, it's just a very good episode. I think the whole package is very, very good. Um you know, if I was to say to, to you, Dan, hey, this is a really good episode, it's really great, and you said, well, what happens in it? Well, they, they make first contact with two new aliens. It's a bit hard to say, really. <laughs> There's a sort of horror element to it, but it's not really horror. Um, you know, it, it's a hard thing to sell as individual bits, but as the whole thing, mm-hmm. great scenes here, great scenes there, you know, lower deck, blah, 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 as, as the whole package, I think it's very entertaining and very good. So yes, I, I would I, I would say yes, watch it because it's a great episode to watch, um, but nothing really major happens in it. There's no there's there's much jeopardy in it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but very entertaining. Dan, yeah, I'd sort of go along with that to a large degree. I think um, I think it, I would definitely recommend it to Star Trek fans because I think it it works as a Star Trek episode. It's got the you know it's it's a sort of problem occurs. They deal with it, they fly off, which is a you know, classic sort of Star Trek, really. Um, I, and I think particularly, I mean, Enterprise is one of those series that gets a lot of stick. And a lot of people are like, oh, Enterprise is rubbish. <laughs> and I think actually you could probably say, well, hang on, you know, yes, I think there's there's some pretty poor episodes and, you know, it never quite achieved what it could have achieved. Mm. But this is a pretty good, especially for a first series, uh, first season rather, I think this is a pretty good episode, and I would definitely recommend it to to Star Trek fans. Yeah, it would be it, it would be interesting to see Dan L. Dan's. Um, if you take this is what number of episode is this? Twenty two. Uh, this will be number 20. 20, 20 in our run through. Oh right, okay. So so um, okay. It would be interesting to go along all the other seasons and pick out the episode twenties from from each of them mm. and see what how they compare because this I think would outstrip all of them. I don't I haven't even looked, so I don't know. I might be mm. not I might not be correct there. <laughs> but certainly in the first season of TNG, that was pretty ropey. Mm. Um D DS9 wasn't too bad, but um likes of Voyager as well. Where are we with that? And I, I think I think this would be one of the better episode twenties mm. of, of all of the seasons. Yeah, because I yeah. think I think I, I think Enterprise actually has a, a better and stronger first season than any other Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Because right. yeah, Dan's on the opposite end in terms of uh, sort well, of yeah. season ones. You know, not mm. necessarily being the best of any sci-fi, any sci-fi, not just yeah. Star Trek. I imagine. Not yeah, to talk for I you. think I think the original series is is really strong. Yep. Oh, yeah. That, I'd agree with that. Is, that is the exception to the rule. I think other, other it, it, than that, it, it I depends where the alternative factor sits in that. Is that a second season episode? But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, it is a, it is pretty strong, but when you look at TNG, it's 
pretty ropey. Yeah. Um, other than other than that original series, I think most yeah. first series of Star Trek are pretty poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think even DS Nine was was some it promised so much with like Odo and what have you, but then didn't deliver. Uh, so it was a bit of a yeah. letdown on there. Um, and I think uh, Voyager was well, that was beset with problems anyway, with with yeah. various characters and various um, scenarios and things. But um, I've I've been obviously as Dan's been doing his podcast, I've been watching along with with mm. the episodes, and I've been watching them, thinking, you know what, there isn't really a very poor, very bad, or even technically horrible episode. They've all been pretty good. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's a better first season. It gets I, my feeling is it gets worse later on. Really? Am I interested you to know, I've just been looking up on my phone, as I've been listening to you, don't worry, I've been picking up everything you just said, um, that uh, episode 20 is Court Martial for the original series. Ooh, that's actually quite a good one. Like Ar- Arsenal Freedom for TNG. Ooh. That's meant to be poor, isn't it? That's meant to be a real shocker, that one. That's mm. Yeah, with the, the self-replicating the little, weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weapons, yeah. DS9 and Voyager never got to episode 20 in their first season. There is no episode 20. So Enterprise wow. Enterprise went where no other Star Trek had ser- series had gone since TNG. Hmm. And TA- TAS, or the animated series, had never got to that point, and we're still waiting for Prodigy uh, and everything to sort of catch up there. I haven't looked at Discovery and what Discovery was doing, but I think they Discovery is... They don't have 20 yeah. episodes, so uh, even, if, 12, even, even if you factored in sort of season two and where their 20 episode would be, it wouldn't be the same. So, yeah, um, other than TNG and the original series, this was the only Star Trek show so far to get a 20th episode in its first season. And wow. given where the other two were, yeah, this really stands out. Mm. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, yeah, and I would thoroughly recommend this to to Star Trek fans. I think it's the B-movie horror, it's the sci-fi, you've got the EM fields, you've got Reed, you've got Travis doing something finally, you've got Archer being abducted, so that plays straight into there. Everything is where it should be in this episode. Um, And yeah, the pacing annoys me, but that's probably just me, not really everyone else. You need the slow bits to appreciate the fast that's going to come up later as we get to the end. Does that work for non-Star Trek fans? Is this a good entryway episode? Absolutely. I think it is. If you want to show somebody who's not seen Star Trek at all and say, this will tell you everything you need to know about Star Trek. You've got first contacts, Mm -hmm. um, how we get to to a point where we can communicate with these people and then we suddenly were friends with them. That's exactly what Star Trek is. Every episode of every... <laughs> Every season of Star Trek has this in it. You know, that's what we're doing. We're exploring. We're going out and finding things. We're meeting new people, and this, that's that's the whole basis of Star Trek. You have you have um, um, the, 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 every 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 um, character has a part to play in the episode. So you get to meet everybody on the ship. You have the Doctor. You have Travis. You have Hoshi. Uh, T'Pol's doing her bit, and then the, you know the. Uh, command crew are obviously there for a little bit and then they get swallowed up but they're still they're still talking at all and thing everybody gets a bit in this in this so you get to mm-hmm. you get to meet the whole crew uh you see uh, the ship you see some um it, we don't have force fields yet so we have a little bit of a you know uh, ooh, we've just invented force fields mm-hmm. um it, it's all there Every, everything that you need to know about star trek is is um 
you know, is pretty much in that thing. You get a cool alien that's all gloopy and, and weirdy, and there's a, you know, it's but it hasn't got fangs and teeth and coming at you in the dark and all this type of thing. Yes, but it is, you know, it's still worrying that what they're doing to the uh, to the captain. Um, so yeah, I think um, everything that you need to know about Star Trek is in this episode. Good, yeah, Dan. Wow, yeah, I was going to say no, actually, and I, I think I've been uh, been swayed. <laughs> I think um, I, I was going to say no, but again, without saying no because it's awful or anything like that, I just I'm not sure it's quite good enough to be the one that you say you've got to watch this. No, it's a decent episode. I agree, it's a good episode. Mm. But I'm not sure that it's it's quite there. But having listened to Paul. Maybe I'm, you know, starting to. I think he's made a passionate defence, and I think, um, you know, if this was a, a, a parliamentary debate, I think he may have won the day. <laughs> you guys, uh, I, I should sort of paint in a little set of wings on one of you, and a, and a set of horns and a, a devil fork on the other, because you are both on my my shoulder right now. Because I really couldn't guess. I I like all of Paul's arguments and completely agree and saw everybody had something to do. Travis had something to do. I keep laboring on this point, but he's he's in the first season so little. When you finally give him a scene, he really stands out. Um, Yeah, it just everything comes together and you've got this sort of early EM field. We haven't worked everything out aspect. You've got the medical drama with Flux and Reed. You shouldn't torture a creature to try and find out what it's all about. You've got this failed first contact with the crustaceans and, and voxel courses, and you've got everything else, you know, and, but then also I see Dan's point that I know the, the, the writing isn't quite there. It's not like the, the big hurrah. There isn't a big finish to maybe just, tie it off in a nice little bow or an oozy little white bow maybe just to make it a little bit more uh in keeping but i was really struggling I, but i think i am also being swayed by paul's argument it does do everything you would expect a star trek episode to do and is a good starter it will explain every character so if you do go on to watch the rest of enterprise from this point ignoring the rest of the first season you know where every character would stand reed likes his explosions and so on uh, everything is explained so I'm going to go with Paul. I'm going to say yes. So there we go. You you've convinced both of both the Dans, <laughs> yeah. the count the council of Dan. This is coming on to the Temple Trek. We need any other Dans listening. Just come on board the show. We'll do a big guest guest with every Dan who's listening. Um, two hosts the house and a guest. Dan. <laughs> yes, that's right. Just Dan. Dan. How about Dan? How are you, Dan? Dan. <laughs> Dan. There we go. Um, anything else to say on the episode before we wrap up? No, no, I think no. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, very enjoyable. And isn't it amazing just how much comes out of these things? You know, it no. always amazes every time. But you know, it's great <laughs> to chat with Paul, and mm. yeah, it's just yeah, amazes me. I always yeah. allow an hour and a half with all of our recordings, but we we always come up to it. We really get to yeah. the wire. So, yeah. so I mean, if, if you were rating this, what would you rate it? Because. Oh. Uh, I was looking because we rate in, in, in out of five on Babylon Five, so mm-hmm. you can obviously out of ten if you want to. But um, for me, this was probably a four point five. Ooh, it's quite a high, you know, or a nine out of ten if you like. You know, it's quite a. It's I'm going to be a there. little bit harsher and go three point five, but veering towards the four. It's, you know, it's not a million miles away from it. It's one of those ones where the judge. You know, he's, he's got two paddles 
isn't quite <laughs> sure which pedal to choose, you know. Um, because, yeah, I think it's a really good episode. But I don't know, it's still, when I think of great Star Trek, this isn't one I think of. When I think of good Enterprise first series, this is one I'll go and come and have and come back and watch through. This mm. is one I would definitely think of. I'd, I'd, I'd be, I think I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, I, I hadn't really remembered it until mm. I started sitting down to watch it again. But now I think I would remember it. Definitely. Mm. Mm. Definitely. So, yeah. So, four, three and a half, four. Yeah, I'm probably in the three and a half, four as well. Uh, just uh, from everything we've discussed, I probably would have started off lower, but because we've talked about it and gone through everything, I think it's gone up in my estimation based on what you guys have been saying. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm probably in the same same boat as Dan. So there we go. Mm, very good. Right. Well, all that remains is the setup. Now, obviously, we've got two hosts this time, so uh, we'll, we might have to change this in future episodes, but we haven't rehearsed anything, so uh, we'll stick to how it's been done in the past. Uh, Paul, before we leave, how can the listeners find you? You can find me on two podcasts at the moment. It's the Cosmic Pizza podcast, which is on the ESO network. And alongside, uh, we've just joined the ESO network with our second podcast, which is um, the Epsilon 3. Now, Cosmic Pizza will talk about anything. The Epsilon 3, we are a Babylon, Babylon 5 rewatch uh, podcast. So we review every episode uh, every week. We th uh, throw an episode out. Um, sort of random, sort of round about the, the 25 to 30 minute mark. So it's not they're not hugely massively um, long to listen to. Uh, nice, easy, easy listening. Uh, that's now joined the ESO network as well. So you can find them at esonetwork.com. Yes. And dare I say so myself, it's very good listening. I always enjoy watching, uh, listening to it on Sundays. That's my my podcast listening for Sunday all sorted. Um, and I often forget half the things we've discussed on those episodes. They, they just go by so quickly. Um, now, Dan, you are obviously a co-host, but where else can people find you? Yes, at Academic Trek 47 uh, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, you can hear the Academic Trek, which is my other podcast, which, believe it or not, I've been, been um, saying this for a few weeks, but I've actually arranged to do a recording um, next Thursday. So unless there's some kind of um, COVID-related excitement, hopefully it will be happening. And, um, yeah, so I might actually have a new episode out pretty soon. Hey. So, yeah, Academic Trek 47. So this, yeah, this will be coming out sort of early January, so maybe before. Oh, it'll probably before, be out already then. By before the, yeah, point, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is a time – This is we might have to do an episode on this this episode. Yeah, it's, Coming it's back getting to a bit difficult. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, so at some point there'll be an episode before nice. you heard this. Yeah, probably. Hopefully. There'll be more. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. who knows? COVID completely changed this. You never know the schedule could change again. But so far, early January is when this is coming out. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. Um, obviously, you can find us on uh, Temple Trek. But, of course, there is the spin-off, The Nexus Nights, where we talk about general Trek geekery in different sort of things. Uh, where so far, we've been reacting to the latest news as Star Trek's been going up and down in all sorts of different things. Uh, and you can also check out my other podcast. I am now on a fifth podcast with my son, my middle child um monsters my middle child and me where i sit down and talk to him for 10 minutes on weird sort of social media monsters urban myths that he keeps on picking up from uh, uh youtube and i just tell them how silly they are uh that's pretty much all we discuss um <laughs> but we break down sort of myths and legends and why they're not really that scary when you think about it um but that's it so there we go 
Right, I've plugged all my wares as well. So all that remains is the setup, the last criteria for the episode. Join us next time. We're still outside the Netflix order as we are going backwards and forwards in time with uh, season three, episode 23 of this podcast, but season one, episode what will be 21 but it was supposed to be 22 and that is oasis so yes i am finally going to get to use the noel gallagher clips midnight at the oasis you name it i'm going to find it i'm going to put it in that episode as well um but thank you very much so you're going to have to have um you're going to have to have some flowers in the background when we're recording (laughs) in some oasis some birds cheeping and everything like that'd be great um but yes uh thank you as always to the listeners for listening and we'll catch you in the next time stream i hope you've enjoyed the show please remember to like subscribe and review wherever you listen to it if you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback you can contact me by either searching for the temple trick podcast facebook page or find me on twitter at rider underscore coattail also search the temple trick podcast you can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore writer. Scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.